Welcome to episode 277 of Stageworthy. I'm your host, Phil Rickaby. Stageworthy is a podcast about people in Canadian theatre featuring conversations with actors, directors, playwrights, and more. Thank you for listening. Before I get started, I wanted to tell you about a new podcast. Monkeys and Playbills is a bi-weekly musical theatre podcast where hosts Paul Degur and Gillian Willems examine Broadway musicals that closed with under 100 performances. Come along on a deep dive of theatre history to discuss Broadway's biggest flops, hidden gems, and total disasters. You can check them out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you've enjoyed listening to Stageworthy and you listen on Apple Podcasts, please consider rating the podcast with five stars. If you're so inclined, you can also leave a review. Your ratings help new people find the show. And if you know someone that you think will like Stageworthy, please tell them about it. Some of my favorite podcasts became my favorites because someone I know told me about them. And remember, you can find and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere you get podcasts. If you want to support Stageworthy, consider dropping some change in the virtual tip jar. You can find a link to that in the show notes. Your support helps me continue to bring you great conversations in Canadian theatre. You can find Stageworthy on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at StageworthyPod, and you can find the website with the archive of all 277 episodes at StageworthyPodcast.com. If you want to drop me a line, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at PhilRickaby, and my website is PhilRickaby.com. My guests this week are Kendra Jones and Blythe Haynes. Kendra and Blythe joined me to talk about Impel Theater's live remote performance of Cardedad Switches and Acorn, which you can see live on March 12th and 13th and on demand until April 3rd. You'll find a link to get tickets in the show notes. Um, Blythe and I have never worked together in person. We have only worked no. on digital stuff. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. That yeah, we we like. Yeah, we have actually been physically in the same room. That is true. <laughs> yes, but we have not worked together in the same room. <laughs> no, no. Wow. <laughs> wow. So. In terms of like, since you haven't worked together in the same room, how did you guys begin to work together? What's, how did that come together? <sighs> um, Blythe saw a show that I directed um, watching Glory Die last, um, last February. In fact, it opened a year ago today. Um, sure. So yeah, it was a year ago today. Um, so yeah, she saw that production and then, um, we connected working on a piece of digital theater, like a, for those, the fringe, the digital fringe thing that was Mm -hmm. happening. I'm forgetting what it was actually called. Um, it's called, it's called fringe live stream. Thank you. Yes. That's what it was called for fringe live stream. So we worked on a reading of one of Chloe Whitehorn's plays, um, back in June, July ish. Out of curiosity, which of Chloe Whitehorn's plays were you doing a reading of? Uh, It's called Dressing Amelia. Okay. 
And it, um, it's actually one that um, we had talked about just, Tori and I um, had drinks and talked about working on a production of that with her and Blythe. Um, it was like my second to last in-person meeting with someone before COVID. <laughs> and then, you know, then we don't get to make theater in live rooms anymore. I am a, I'm a longtime fan of, of Chloe Whitehorn's work. Um, she has ruined chocolate oranges for me. What? Um, what? Okay. So <laughs> okay. She, she did this. She did this. <laughs> did this play at um, at uh, uh, New Ideas, and one of the plot points was this woman. She was having a baby, and and there was this 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 woman who who may or may not be a, a hit woman or the main character's mother, who essentially is like um, hates his girlfriend or something, and like is like she's pregnant but not anymore like there's this this whole like murder possibility and hand, you know you know your baby is only about the size of a chocolate orange box and then at the end of it like hands him this chocolate orange box and i cannot <laughs> at christmas time look at a chocolate orange box without thinking damn you glory white horn i love that i love that she stays with you She's there. Oh, She's like on your shoulder with her giant she, red hair. <laughs> whenever I go to see a Chloe Whitehorn play, I'm like, okay, what's she going to do to me this time? Yeah, how's she going to scar you this time? <laughs> yes, what is yes. it? Exactly. Oh, exactly. that's that's brilliant. I um, love that. <laughs> it, it's funny. I um, when I saw watching Glory die, um, there's sort of like a similar lasting impact with 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 Kendra's work because mm. I. I went to go see it and um uh and I I I just worked on a um a production of that um before and I knew one of the people involved in the show and I remember leaving the show and I I turned to I actually I sat with Tori I turned to Tori and I just went who the fuck directed that cuz that was amazing <laughs> That's actually my goal like nice. every I just I just want that reaction 100% of the time Kendra if you are not selling who the fuck directed that t-shirt by the end of this pandemic I don't I, know You know what? what I haven't but I really need to and I love that that could go like both good and bad exactly. and I feel like most of my work sits on that line of like this could you either love this or you're like I never want that again Right <laughs> <laughs> well I'm this was definitely it. something where i i yeah 100 uh <laughs> and then i i needed to find out who directed this and i needed i needed to become their friend <laughs> and here we are and so. there you go <laughs> now Blythe, you've you've i mean you sort of worked on 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 a production of watching gloria die you went to edinburgh the edinburgh festival with uh with that production mm. and so you've had you you watched it a lot so um having seen one production that you they were sort of very deeply involved in and going over to, to the one that Kendra directed, um, what struck you the most about, about the, about Kendra's production? Obviously something did because you were like, who the fuck directed that? <laughs> like what, what was it? Uh, yeah. Um, oh, uh, quite a few things. Uh, I think what was unique like from the starting point was that I had worked on uh, the production that Judith Thompson had reworked. So the play was originally, uh, um, yeah, it was originally a one person show, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
yeah and uh, i'm getting i'm getting the two versions mixed up in my head <laughs> but yeah it was originally like a one person mm. and um uh, and then Judith had rewritten it very specifically to be three separate characters. And that's what went to Edinburgh. And mm. so I had been able to, to sort of see some of that process and, and um, be involved in that journey. So going to see Kendra's production, which was using the old script, uh, the one that was written for a one person show, but was three actors. And um I was I was just blown away by the inventiveness of the staging and how that flowed so beautifully and magically into all these different um, transitions. I, I think it was like particularly the transitions, which just because mm. there was a, a, a sheet or a blanket or something, a piece of fabric, we'll say. The giant um, piece that, of spandex. <laughs> yeah. And just the way that uh, Kendra was able to, I, I assume, work with the actors as well to to find what those transitions were and make these stunning images that really stuck with you uh, and that dramaturgically really made sense to the entire piece. Like it was this really, just really tight kind of piece that was, um, you know, beautiful and and haunting and um, and also just like very simple but also very raw in this very in this black box theater that was really rich with a lot of layers of mm -hmm. sound and and visual images, but it's also very, very simple. Uh, mm -hmm. So so I think that, you know, looking at like Edinburgh, it was just a completely different experience. And also like the script was was very different uh, mm -hmm. and the and the actors were completely different. So I think that uh, this was much more kind of looking into into. Uh, yeah, I guess like less realism in, in, in a way, mm -hmm. uh, which was really cool. Thanks. <laughs> I think I think less realism in theater is it can be a little bit more magical. Right? Sometimes we need to need to suspend mm -hmm. that to force an audience yeah. to suspend some disbelief. I think, you know, yeah. I think sometimes we get too tied to oh, we couldn't do this in a movie, and it's like it's it's not a movie, and yes. the audience can yeah. suspend their disbelief in a way they don't in movies. Yeah, well, for me, that's the whole reason we make theater, mm -hmm. right? Like, because it's not a movie. And it's not a movie because you can make an image using a piece of fabric and make it look like, you know, something's restraining someone. Mm -hmm. And we all believe and are committed and accepted to that. But, you know, you can't do that in a movie. You know, if you did that in a movie, it would look like this weird mm -hmm. thing. Like, why, why would they do that instead of just put handcuffs on that person? Um, and so we have like a different um, visual language to work in mm -hmm. and it's so much more representative. And when you lean into that, the thing that makes it its own thing, it's so much more interesting for me anyway. <laughs> now, one of the things that that's interesting mm -hmm. about that is the fact that um, we can't be in a theater right now <laughs> and we're stuck doing <laughs> virtual digital theater, however we want to refer to it, which is very different and relies on screens in a way that we normally mm -hmm. wouldn't. Um, how mm -hmm. in, in terms of trying to like the difference between it, it it's theater and it's a filmed thing. Um, how are you, how, how do you find keeping the theatrical in something that is, that is on a screen? <laughs> it's, it's a big question. I've been asking a lot, actually, because I've been, I've been absorbing lots of work. And I think for me, the stuff that 
the stuff that really works and the stuff that I'm trying to bring in, in both the work that we did back in the summer and, and in this new work that we're doing now is um, to live within the limitations that we have. Right. So um, to use a really huge example, um, the restaging of lungs at, at the old Vic where they restaged lungs with uh, Matt Smith and Claire Foy and they restaged the entire production to be filmed where they have to stay six feet apart from one another. They can't, and the set design is literally these markings on the floor. So they can't physically cross those lines. Um, so something like that, that just says, okay, well, this is the, this is the situation we're in. So let's live within those parameters. And so then when you extend that to, um, to Zoom uh, or to whatever digital screen-based platform you're using, again, live within those parameters, you know? So, you know, can you make the characters look at each other? Can you dictate how they are in position um, relative to one another? Does it make sense for their spaces to have a similar look um, or to look different from one another depending on what's going on? Um, and then also lean into the, the kind of the lack of attention span <laughs> that we have. Like I know, I, I can sit in a theater for hours and watch something, or I can sit and read a book for ages, but somehow watching something on a screen, it's like we have this like limited, you know, something around the, you know, 45 minute mark, your brain wanders. And there's something about that way that we interact with screens that it just happens to all of us. So something that we've been trying to, to talk about and, and work into what we're doing is, um, is leaning into that. So, you know, we know that people are going to pick up their phones and look at Instagram or scroll Instagram or whatever. So what if that's part of the show? What if there's a way where the characters are also there so that then when you scroll Instagram, you get those characters too. Mm. Um, and what if the characters themselves have those same, you know, lapses of attention and things like that. So trying to find ways to kind of deal with the reality of this situation rather than try to pretend that that's not what it is, right? In the same way that, you know, we know that this character is not in a jail cell and not getting real handcuffs put on them, but we're willing to suspend that disbelief. Let's mm -hmm. do the same in a digital space and just, you know, deal with the realities of what's in front of us. Yeah. I think that there is a, there I is a. Just add on. Yeah, go ahead, please, bud. Uh, well, I think that there is this, uh, we're drilling down a lot um, in terms of these remote performance models and having to have the question of what is liveness? Mm -hmm. um, what does that mean? And when you're in a theater, I don't think we have to think about it quite so much because you're there, it's in front and then it, it just happens. But in this sort of scenario, yeah, you're having to think, what does that actually mean? And part of that is the audience interaction and part of that is trying to find a way to, to feed that energy. But I think also part of it is, and we've had a lot of conversations about this, is um, this idea of natural and curated chaos, mm -hmm. that anything can happen when it's live. And so how do you have the audience know that it is live? And part of that, yeah, is, is, is really leaning in and synthesizing these these screens were on and not fighting it and to um show process more and and, and not be quite so afraid of failing so mm -hmm. you know let something happen um so create a a structure that has that chaos in it and then drop things in that kind of are more curated chaos uh, that anything could happen and that mistakes are actually beautiful moments um and they're not mistakes 
So I, 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 we've definitely been thinking a lot about that as well, that theater doesn't exist right now. Mm. This is something else. Yes. I think that is, that's an important thing is that, you know, for a while there at the beginning of the pandemic, I heard a lot of, there were some people who were like poo-pooing the whole idea of, 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 of digital theater. Well, it's not theater. Well, no, it's <laughs> not. It can't be. The other challenge, and I'm sure that you guys have experienced this, is there is, for want of a better term, we're calling it Zoom fatigue, but it's, it's, it's virtual mm-hmm. meeting fatigue. Um, everybody spends so much time in virtual meetings that trying to uh, convince somebody that you are entering a, an entertainment space. Now right. you're entering a new space, you know, in, in a theater, we take them out of the normal space. We could bring them into our space. Mm-hmm. And, and with, with virtual, we're sort of still stuck with like the Brady Brunch grid of Zoom or mm-hmm. however we've managed to set it up, which mm-hmm. people are really familiar with. And it feels like work, it could be a real challenge to make people accept, ah, I am being entertained now, not I'm in a business meeting. Yeah. Yeah, there's, mm-hmm. I've, I've seen some really cool ways of dealing with it. And, and some of them are incredibly simple. Um, so uh, there was a, a production of Will Arbery's play, uh, The Heroes of the Fourth Turning, mm-hmm. that was, it was a couple months ago now. But when they, when you got your, your link, um, it gave you specific instructions. So it said like, you know, this is best viewed in a dark room. So sit where you are, shut off the lights focus in and it gave you like a couple specific things to do and they're really simple like I I didn't have to do very much I flicked off the light and sat in a room where no one else was Um, but it really created the atmosphere and we we were talking about that before is that it it was like they did the lighting design for me to experience by saying do this this Mm -hmm. this right Um, so there's there's little things that you can do that kind of help create and curate the audience's space as well of course it's Mm -hmm. dependent on them playing along but so is anything in person. Um, but I've, there, we've been seeing more and more of that kind of stuff. Um, I've even heard, I think it was you, Blythe, that was telling me about one where they actually sent a box to your house <laughs> and, and yeah. you like had stuff to deal with and do. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, there's been a few of those that it's, it's, it's about giving you, the audience, uh, a role, I think. In, mm-hmm. in a production that an audience member feels that they have a stake in it when, which I do think is essential, especially in this, because when you're dealing with audience energy, um, I think the thing that really has come home to me, particularly in this as an audience member, is that I have complete control over this experience. The performers have zero control. I can turn my laptop off. Mm-hmm. I can watch this brushing my teeth. I can watch this as I'm doing a workout. I could watch this in any way I wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I can leave. I can mute it. Like there's so many things. So as the performer, it's not just if the material is good, then it'll it'll shine through, which I do think is true. But I think there is also this other component of, well, how does the audience become a stakeholder in in the show? And so whether it's things like, we're going to make this together, um, whether it's saying flick your lights off or sending a box that has a star map and then you're supposed to click that on at certain points, you know, um, you are involved in the process of making art, I think, mm-hmm. as an audience member. And that's that's a that's a big thing. And then part of that is also sharing that as an audience member. So wanting to talk about it, whether it's with the other performers or, um, you know, the people in your space. But um, yeah, I think that those are kind of 
things that I, I gravitate towards too, for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think the other, like, for me, the challenge is, is sometimes like, you know, I might be on, you know, my daytime zoom calls until like six o'clock. And then, you know, the idea of like, rushing to make dinner and then rushing to look at a screen again is difficult. So the, um, a lot of companies have been offering things sort of on demand as well, which I think for me anyway, and I know from a number of people who have small kids at home and things like that, the ability to say, yes, I commit to watching your show in this way with the lighting design or what have you, but I'm going to do it at, you know, 732, because that's actually when it was convenient for me to get ready to do that. Um, in a way is, is super freeing, right? Like, cause we've all been in that space where, you know, you, you rush and there's no way you're going to make it to the theater on time. And you either like, don't get a ticket or you have to give up your ticket or you're late. And then they don't take latecomers and all of that. So in a way, um, it, it free, it's freeing, right. As an audience member, like Blythe was saying, you're in control. Um, and, but it also like, it makes it easier for someone who maybe wants to, but can't under the regular kind of, accepted norms of how we go to the theater this this format this digital format really um it makes it accessible for people who maybe wouldn't have been able to otherwise that kind of accessibility is something that i'm kind of hope you know as much as the you know having to do theater virtually and these 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 zoom productions and all of that stuff as as much as we don't like that i have seen some setups at some theaters where they're they've put cameras in the theater mm-hmm. and so like for example uh the st john theater company in st john new brunswick um they had a three camera setup that they put together at the beginning of the pandemic they did their fringe festival and they broadcast each of their fringe shows with a three camera setup um so that you could like have your digital ticket because they only had a few people in the audience there's something really exciting about about the possibility of having people still be able to see our shows in the theater when this is all over and to share work from Toronto yeah. with Edmonton and vice versa. And for people who can't physically get to the theater, yeah. just, you know, there's sort of like uh, we can become a little less ableist in how we present, present theater by putting it out there for people who can't physically get to the theater as well. Yeah. Well, absolutely. Like there's Hard, shows. Yes. I've watched from from my hometown where, you know, some friends were doing a show and I was able to watch because they'd facilitated that. Or, you know, I have friends in London who I did my master's degree with who had shows opening and I could watch their show. And normally, like, unless I'm in town, I wouldn't get to see that. So um, I think it's so amazing. And I really hope that, you know, now that we've like invested and created that space, it it's so great for people to be able to see work from other places, people who maybe don't feel comfortable going to a physical theater space or don't feel welcomed. Like I know a lot of people like are interested, but are intimidated by, you know, walking into, you know, the building at Soul Pepper or what have you. So um, it really does make it more accessible for lots of people for lots of different reasons. Um, so hopefully it'll be something we keep doing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think also that it's, it's, reimagining what theater is and I, I think that yeah I'm, I, I don't think that this is all going to go away we're not going to all just learn these skills and then when we can go back and theaters go well thank goodness we don't have to do that again um, I think that <laughs> this is fundamentally <laughs> uh, fundamentally changed how we practice art because our perspectives have changed as well and I think our audiences have changed um something that also struck me was that 
because uh, I so I was going to the uh, Associated Designers of Canada Level Up Symposium that was going on for a month, and let me tell you, that was amazing. As a plug for that, you can go and watch the archives on their website still, and I highly recommend it because they have all these designers and digital creators who've been doing this for years and years and years and years, and they find they made it open for actors like myself who are like this digital thing. So, so it's a thing, right? I don't, mm -hmm. and it just completely opened my mind. And one of the things that someone said, I can't remember who it was, but they said our audiences are now used to being on a performance platform because our audiences are now on zoom all the time and they are, um, yeah, performing essentially all day at their day jobs. Mm -hmm. So, um, it's a different way of kind of relating it. And so I feel like our audiences will have different expectations of us. And, and so it would make sense that we have a different expectation of creating theater and opening up and saying, it's not just in a black box theater. It's not just in a proscenium. It's in your, that person's living room or it's in a park or, or, you know, but I guess this idea of, so what, what is legitimate and what is not. Mm -hmm. I super like I love the idea of of finally being able to see work that's being done in other places in Canada rather than just hearing about it um, mm -hmm. and, you know, hoping, oh, I hope somebody does that a production of that independent play in Toronto someday um, yeah. instead of, you know, yeah. being able to actually watch it, which I think uh, would would open up because we're pretty siloed in Canada We're you know, the work in, in, in Toronto doesn't get seen so much in Vancouver and same thing in Edmonton. It's that doesn't spread around that much, but to be able to, to, to really sort of share the work with the entire country would, would be, would be pretty, pretty amazing. Yeah. Yes. Um, in terms <laughs> of the, the, what you guys are working on uh, the play and acorn, tell me about, uh, about, about that. How, what, how were you first drawn to this play? Um, so I, <laughs> I, I tell like the I dream should... story. You should tell the dream story. And <laughs> it's important like, that this is committed to public record, the dream. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> I'm kind of crying. Um, so back in early January of 2021 so yes like a month and a half ago I I had a dream uh and if and if you know me you know that I'm a very vivid dreamer and I have lots of instance dreams and uh I had a dream this one night where Kendra and I started a zoom secret play reading club not unlike fight club where um, nobody knew who was reading until they popped up in their Zoom window for their entrance. And um, uh, in, in that dream, Kendra and I cast ourselves as, as two parts. And we went and cast our, our people, but nobody knew. And there was a bit in the dream, I kind of can't remember totally, where I'm like in the alley trying to get the perfect mysterious like film noir lighting for my entrance pop-up. <laughs> These are real facts. So yeah. real facts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. So I uh I woke up. 
I woke up and I immediately was like, it's not a bad idea. And then I immediately messaged Kendra. I was like, hey, Kendra, I had a dream. I think we should do my dream. And uh, there was very little hesitation in getting back the answer. Yes. Yes, we should. That's actually true as well. <laughs> very little hesitation. Um, so then so then how we ended up doing what we're doing is um, I have, uh, I'm always in contact with playwrights all over the place. Um, and uh, Caridad Svitch is an American uh, Latinx playwright who she had sent me. We had been kind of going back and forth on Twitter, kind of, you know, engaged in what each other were watching, essentially. And uh, gosh, it was like February of last year that she sent me a whole pile of scripts. And she's like, hey, you know, give these a read. Let me know what you think. Love to work with you at some point. Um, so then that was February. So I had a production on and then there was a pandemic. Um, so I like kind of read them, didn't really like, you know, I was like, oh, these are cool. And then just like filed them away for like deal with this later. Um, and so then I basically forgot about these plays. And then when Blythe sent me that message, I was like, that's really cool, but we need like the right script. If we're going to do something like, like where there's people who don't know what's up, it needs to be the right script. And, and I want it to be a script where that's not already the, the convention of the script. So it can't be something like an oak tree or one yellow rabbit or something like that. Like we want to make it the thing that's this production. Um, and so the first of Caridad's scripts that I opened out of my scripts folder was an acorn and I started reading this this was January 6th so the day when America's like literally trying to burn itself down um and <laughs> I'd been watching that all day and was kind of like oh my god what's going on and then I read this play and this play was um first written shortly after Trump took power um and it was commissioned by a theater I think in St. Louis um, and it, it really deals with, um, division and, um, how people become factions and separated from one another and really isolated. And it really, really, really resonated with me in terms of both the political things that were going on post, you know, U.S. election with the insurrection, all of our many irrelevant on honestly opinions on that in Canada um and then on top of that the pandemic being at home and this model of creating theater where we can't be together but we have to be sort of together but not really together um and I thought oh my gosh this is what a cool play to do <laughs> this way um and so the play it's a big long poem basically. It doesn't have any character divisions. Um, all it, the only instruction is that it should be read by, you know, a number of actors um, and that the cast should look like the world when you walk down the street. Um, that's it. It doesn't say how many. It says nothing else. So, um, so we decided to divide it up into four characters, um, two of which will be the same every night. So Blythe uh, oh, and uh, an actor I know really well from Winnipeg, Ray Strong, will be our yeah, actors every night. And then each night there will be two guest performers who you don't get to know who they are yet. Um, you know, but they will just appear do, um, and they will not have read the script yet. So they will get like an hour before they're going to get the script that's like marked up that tells them, you know, your guest A, your exactly. guest B. Exactly. It could be. And they will get the script all, all, and they will like, be doing effectively so a cold meetings. read with the other two actors who oh, have the, yeah, it, done rehearsing. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, and so, yeah, a little bit of chaos. One of the things uh, that I, I noticed, you know, you were talking about All because uh, when life had this a idea sort of, you know, when you had the idea. I literally, for the only, hopefully it, the only one time of the I get to say, that it came to me in a dream. This <laughs> virtual theater has given us is a much faster turnaround as far as, that, as far as, uh, you know uh, what? Uh, yeah, that's out there. true. We in could fact, do that too, but uh, not in a bad way, similar with, to, uh, you know, who the hell directed this. Of, uh, like creation <laughs> of, of digital stuff. And, yeah, I like and it. It's got layers. He was noticing that that's really dangerous. I think there's a few closer people to the date for virtual not- uh, than they do for live. Like people will buy tickets when they go on sale uh, for a live show, but for a virtual show, They'll buy them the a couple of days before, the weekend before, things like that. So, the there it's changed the way that people interact with theater. Yes, and in fact, we're promoting in a, a shorter shorter time span as well. Uh, yes. Hmm. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's also meant that we can have actors who are in different places. Right. Like normally Ray lives in Winnipeg. Blythe lives in Toronto. I'm in Toronto. And normally that would have required plane tickets and figuring out where he's going to stay and like per diems and stuff. And instead we can be like, hey, you want to film this at your house? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, I I would say that even just like the actors that uh, that are are guest ones that you don't know yet. Uh, No, those literally are from across the country like we're, we're going yeah. from vancouver to like alberta to yeah toronto uh i don't think we're crossing the it's Ontario putting border. something like this yeah. together what does <laughs> not yet um, but yeah like it, it, it brings us uh, not yet what does it yeah how right. does how do rehearsals <laughs> but, work for those you know, it, people that brings you're rehearsing kind of with really how are you wrangling of, like, these actors well. how, like what is that process um, uh, in, look into like? this into this work and mm-hmm. and really sort of seeing people creating in the space they're creating in um, and in like the time they're creating in and, and what that brings to it. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's really, really interesting uh, as, as a question and how that affects it. But yeah, we're really able to kind of go all across Canada. Um, well, well, this instance is kind of strange because I'm only rehearsing two of them and and arguably really lightly, like they're going to be lightly rehearsed and the others won't be rehearsed at all. Um, but in something that that is more in, intensely rehearsed, um, the, the way we did it for the for the fringe show that we did in the summer is um, in, in sort of in a way, the way I work one on one in person, which is that we would have one on one sessions with each of the actors. Um, to do like their script analysis and talk about like just the mechanics of their space because you you're not just directing them as 
as actors and then curating like the one performance space you're curating, you know, if there are six actors, you have six performance spaces to say, okay, what's your lighting? How is your sound? How does that sound? Like, what's your background? Can we move this and this and this? So we actually um, had like a whole rehearsal dedicated to them, like walking me around their flat to show me like, okay, I want a room that looks kind of like this. Oh yeah, that one's cool. Oh no, the light's bad. Oh, you're a little echoey in there. We can't use that room. And that's part of the rehearsal process because we have to figure out in each person's individual space. And then when you come together, it becomes more about just the mechanics mm -hmm. of, <coughs> sorry, of understanding um, how Zoom works. For example, like so when we did the one in the summer, it was also pretty new. And so learning things like, oh, if the character is supposed to interrupt somebody, but Zoom doesn't let you talk over somebody, how are you going to do that? Like, what's our plan? <laughs> you know, so figuring out the mechanics of how you would do those things that are just so natural in person um, that, that just aren't mm. digitally. So in a way, um, the rehearsal becomes very technical in terms of how we're going to achieve certain effects and how certain things are going to work and how certain interactions are going to happen um, in a way that I never imagined having to direct people. <laughs> and you have to rely on the, the actor's craft to bring all that extra, like all the stuff that you would normally get to spend lots of time feeling along with them in the rehearsal studio in a way kind of has to just kind of come along while we figure out those technical, it, it's like choreographing a fight scene basically, but for every line of text. So in a, in a situation like this, um, the added bonus of course, mm. is that we're not rehearsing two of the actors. So they're going to get like a list of instructions basically with um, some guidelines on what their space should look like, yeah. what the, they should wear, the aspect all those is, sorts of is, things. Is They're going to get their little like for, their prep for some book effectively and, and to like bring this I can along imagine there's you. a lot of people who've avoided um, trying to do, but they won't get like, the digital theater that just bonus that of like, okay, oh, I'm supposed to interrupt like this person at this time. A, How does that work? Thing to do. So that's the, we were talking um, about like the uh, intentional chaos. They, they, some of that is intentional in the production that there will be that overlap. There will be that someone's screen might freeze. You're right. You do kind of have to just lean into the all sorts of things. Can happen, happen because that's and the that's reality of just life the in way it goes if somebody takes boxes. a screenshot of you when you're frozen there's nothing you can do about that and that's just the way yeah mm Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah <laughs> that is that mm -hmm. Yeah, there was actually um, Forced Entertainment, which are one of my favorite companies, hands down. Mm -hmm. um, they did a show last summer that um, was called End Meeting for All, which is, as you know, how you end a Zoom meeting. <laughs> um, and it it basically was that. It was like them playing with people's inability to function in a video chat. So like people would be talking over each other. You'd like see like this, like, and, and people would be covering the camera. You'd like get bad angles. Like the entire show was about performing that inability, that failure to, to succeed, if you will, at Zoom meetings. <laughs> it was amazing. I think that that's, that's kind of like 
yeah, I mean, this thing about synthesizing your 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 obstacles into the production and kind of making those those as a part of it rather than than ignoring it. And I, I think that's what also really interests me about what's gonna happen. Because I don't know. <laughs> I just I just had a dream and then it became a reality. And I've somehow duped everyone into being into my dream. So essentially we're all going into my subconscious. <laughs> but I I I do think that this is something that um is very freeing to think about well what if I what if I don't try and be perfect what if actually the the most fun entertaining thing is actually if we're not Mm -hmm. um and I think that with this medium that's what I mean sometimes excites me obviously there's the aspect it's like of course I want to be in a theater I mean this is like but um there can be a real challenge yeah too, it's you know it's when, this, when we're the sense of theater, we're in the nascent stages that, that of something new and, and so there isn't a right or a wrong way a group to do it where uh there is like just it's okay it. if something goes wrong and we've all I got each other that's really freeing and in the senses and takes and allows you to take more ownership but digitally of your art creation and go well we've thrown everything out the window so to let's just it. let's just and play and i don't know about and, you but when uh, something starts to go that wrong is something that really interests me um, in terms of i, I get very it's, it's hard to like just sort of lean into what it. happens in front of an audience and just sharing. i start to i get very 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 i stammer there's like all kinds of like it's just like oh what do i do it's hard to get comfortable with the fact that stuff can go wrong do you guys have things that you're telling your actors that they can just how they could like lean into mm-hmm. if there's something goes wrong Mm-hmm. yeah essentially just like if you need to go back go back if you need to get up and go get a drink of water as long as you don't have a big chunk of text go get a drink of water like just live in your square and your like your space um and don't don't feel that you need to perform. It is intentionally non-performative. Um, in and that sounds wild, but it, the script lends itself to that. <laughs> um, but it, you know, just just empowering, I guess. Like it, it's the same thing that we tell, you know, acting students, you know, about how to audition, right? Like, well, it's your space. You do what you need to do. If you need to start over, go ahead. But we like we're all terrified of actually doing that. Um, but just really empowering them mm-hmm. to like go ahead and do it. And and funny enough, I've done that in 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 person shows too, right? Like I think um I think Phil, you saw I'm Alvolio, I think. Yeah. So it was worked in as like a bit if if he had to do it, but he was it's a 45-minute monologue that is like 70% improvised and encourages the audience to heckle him. So <laughs> you try staying on track, right? Like I don't know. <laughs> 
<laughs> so, and he was really anxious about like losing the plot, like literally losing where the plot was. And so we built it in that the stage manager was literally sitting at the back of the room and he, at any point he could call and say, Emma, where are we? And she would have to tell him like, oh, this is what line we're at. And, and that sounds insane. But at the same time, I, I said, my only rule is that if you have to call for line, you have to call for line twice. So then they won't know if you, and, if, if you actually and, called and for a line or if it was part of the show. Just and those, so then sometimes he would just like call for a line and just to like calm down the audience. Like if they weren't, put, if they were playing a little too rough, um, he would put them back in their place by saying, Hey, this is a performance. Or sorry, I got shit to do. Right. But so if you create that space where that's okay, where, where we all acknowledge that this is a performance, performances aren't perfect and people live in these real spaces then um the whole set of rules for how the space works are kind of put on their side and you can do what you want <laughs> mm -hmm. funny you ask that I actually the two that we've had we haven't actually had a stage manager so like the previous one and then this mm -hmm. one um yeah because I think it it depends on the context I think if everyone's at home um unless there's like a great need for organizing rehearsals or things like that like there isn't you know mm -hmm. I don't want to say they're not necessary but they're not um there there's nothing extra that comes of that um, that said, I think in in the context of something that is um, that is completely off book, so doesn't mm -hmm. isn't a reading of some capacity, um, or that is this filmed in a single space, like absolutely, then there a stage manager is still still in in many ways would perform the same sort of role, right? But in a in at least in the the instances of the work that we've done so far, um, we've kind of leaned into the fact that that time turnaround is there and that you can be reading and looking at the person in their eye at the same time. Um, so you can kind of remove that, that need. Um, but yeah, like I, I don't, I haven't had a cause to use a stage manager in this kind of show yet. I don't, I feel like they would. <laughs> I always love a stage manager uh, yeah. in my life. <laughs> I, I would hazard a guess just from also what I've seen but and and also going to the Associated Designers of Canada some yeah. video. Um, nice nice plug are they paying you <laughs> not yet I have we're working something out <laughs> um but <laughs> there is much more I think of a tech like a technical aspect to to that because mm -hmm. I mean you are you know, there's a lot of feeds that are being managed in in these kind of remote um, scenarios. Uh, like, mm. I saw Orestes that Tarragon did, and I don't think I I think that would be a nightmare to stage manage because mm. there were something like six different feeds um, that are feeding into that. But that's also like an editor and like live editing, and so I I I. I would love to talk to a stage manager and say, like, tell me what your job is now, because I feel that there's a lot more of that technical so aspect. Much, yeah. Um, yeah. And even just like Zoom kind of stuff or I, I don't even know. Um, or, or troubleshooting is what I would imagine. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and like I said, like, I think the more um, production, if you will, that there is in the work that you're doing, the more cause there would be. So yeah, something with multiple feeds or, um, or that like requires kind of like moving things, right? Like if you can like turn off and turn on um, video feeds and stuff like that. So that I think that would be such a huge part, but like Blythe said, that that almost gets into the realm of like live editing, which is like, that's a whole other can of beans. <laughs> which people are doing, you know? I mean, like yeah. Frank Donato who did Arrestes was, was live mm-hmm. editing um, all of those feeds. Um, mm-hmm. which, well, oh and I've gosh. seen some but that where- that design is performance. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So like where the mm-hmm. design elements like become an essential part of the performance in a digital sphere. Like I've seen some that Certainly were when, uh, that were live streamed and they if we get, like when we the get back into the theaters if, we, if we're able to keep and treated sort of the, in the same way the, like the video sound like a terrible example but the way someone does like projection stream, mapping um, during like a concert there's almost a danger that somebody's going to say well sort the stage of manager can run the show and live video feeds feed, from someone's house which would just be a terrible thing to do to which a stage manager which was really really cool it was like some company in New York I can't remember and they just performed it like on Facebook book live like it was so cool I don't know how the heck they did this (laughs) um but so there's depending on like what you're doing there's certainly space for it it's interesting because I know that the stuff in like with St. John Theatre Company when in the in the Fundy Fringe they actually did have somebody not necessarily the stage manager but they had somebody who was running their three camera setup in this space so they had somebody who was running the lights for the people in the space and then they had somebody else who was like uh, yeah, switching no, no. cameras, which is which is pretty cool. That would be horrible. No, I already feel bad when I give that. them too many cues, <laughs> much less like, oh, also manage this video feed. No, no, don't do that to your stage mm-hmm. managers. They're lovely humans. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. Mm. Mm. yeah yes absolutely yeah absolutely well i, I know yeah. um manitoba theater um, center have set up for, uh, um, their an acorn, space when to will be people be like able a, to see it and how will they be able to see it studio i guess for lack of a better term um and there's there's like technicians on site who help you manage like the actual recording and the cameras and stuff but then you can either use their services to do the final edit or you can take it on your own um but yeah that like that doesn't even seem to me like something that is in the stage manager's realm like that's that's getting very deep into like like video design like yeah Um, so they will be able to purchase tickets. Um, so the best thing to do now um, is to follow Impel Theater on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, wherever you like. Um, we're in all those places. Um, the specifics of the show will be announced in the next week or so, so like early March. Um, and, and will the live performances be What in little Zoom info you get to, know, to be um, over that, that time? Um, <laughs> 
Um, and then the nice thing, uh, I think we kind of mentioned this earlier, is that there will be two live, live, live streamed nice. performances that people can watch as they happen. Um, but those will actually nice. be recorded and available on demand as well for, um, you know, uh, just as we start to draw so to that a close, one of the things those days, that I asked and I have been um, asking since following days and still get the experience for, for almost a year now and see how we've managed to make started. the liveness of the um, digital is interaction a about still live. <laughs> and and where you find your joy each day because we all need that we yes. need something as yeah as we're streaming them live in zoom some joy um, to help so, us get you know the kind of the, so for what's each become of you, the norm now what has been giving you joy <laughs> lately to get you through the day and you'll get some instructions too as to how to enjoy the show yes very vague <laughs> Hmm, that's a difficult question. Um, not to say that I don't have joy, but <laughs> like um, I would say. I, as much as it's been like a challenge, I have really appreciated um, getting to spend so much time with my husband and my daughter um, because normally we're all going in four different directions. Sometimes we're in three cities at three times yes. at the same time, sorry. Um, and getting to basically spend every day together for an extended period of time has been pretty awesome. Um, and something that would not have happened if we hadn't literally been required to be shut up with each other in our flat. Um, so it's been really cool. Like we've been watching lots of stuff together and and sharing, like I read a book and then I'll be like, Oh, you need to read this and hand it to my daughter and she'll read it. And so kind of getting to share in those ways that we wouldn't have been able to, if this bizarre set of circumstances hadn't come out. So yeah, that's what brings me joy. <laughs> huh? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, I think it is a difficult question. I think that for me, it changes um, every day um, based on sort of what, what, what the needs are. Um, but I would say something that's been bringing me joy recently um, <laughs> is uh, sort of having a little ritual. I guess it's two things. It's like in the morning I get up, I have my tea um, and I make a, I make a deal with myself that I don't have to do anything until I have my tea, <laughs> until that's done. Uh, so whether that's reading a book um, or staring out the window, I don't know. Um, but that, um, yeah, that I just, I create that space for myself that I don't have to do anything until I finish that. Um, I exceed in, in every single day, but, but that's, um, brings me a little bit of that, that kind of quiet, um, moment to set me up for the day. Um, and I would say also at the end of the day, very recently, I have been watching the TV show, Ted Lasso yes. and, uh, <laughs> which Kendra knows like very well that I'm watching this it's so and good. <laughs> you know, it's beautiful. Like I've literally now watched it two times. And I think that what's so beautiful about Ted Lasso is that the, the, the message of hope that is given in that, um, in a way that you think with that character that he is 
Like you, you discount him at first because you think he's going to annoy the heck out of you because he's so positive okay. all the time. But, um, you know, you really come to love him so, so much and he really wears you down, <laughs> kind yeah. of. Um, totally but just reminding about teamwork. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it totally does, you know, and, and being reminded, that's I totally guess, of, yeah, working yes, as good. a team together glad. to achieve something, which um, well, Kendra, I mean, sports and theater have a thank lot you in so common with that. For talking and, with me this evening. Um, it just, it literally brings me so much joy. And I miss these characters when I'm like done watching it. So uh, yeah, Ted Lasso is bringing me lots and lots of joy right now. Um, if anyone hasn't watched Ted Lasso, it will bring you joy. It is it is a yes. shockingly joyful TV show. It is so enjoyable. Yes. <laughs> nice plug for <laughs> Jason Sudeikis. He's also paying us. They're He's also not. paying me as well. <laughs> Thanks, both of you. Uh, really enjoyed our conversation today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.